Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. If you're a fan of the show, write us a review and tell your friends about us. And if you donate at thebittersweetlife.net, you'll not only help keep the show going, you'll get a handwritten thank you note in the mail. And we will never forget you. Also, if you want to sponsor the show, contact us through thebittersweetlife.net. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Katie Sewell. This show begins in Rome, right after I quit my job as a senior producer for public radio and moved there. This was totally out of my character. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer, author of Midnight in the Piazza, and she's my childhood friend. And she also moved to Rome, but over a decade ago. She flew there with no real plan and managed to stay. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning. I promise you'll be entertained. And don't be afraid to start thinking about how you might want your life to be different. We're all on this journey together. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about taking on a challenge. Yeah. Or really anything that you basically decide to do, not because you have to do it, but because you want to stretch yourself. What? Yeah. Do something difficult, something out of the norm. Yeah. So not the challenges of the life that's hoisted upon you, but the challenges that you take on yourself. That's what we're going to look at today. And the reason why is because if anybody's been following Tiffany on Instagram over the last few weeks, you know that she did go through a 72-hour fast. Yes. Yes, why? I did. Why? Why? <laughs> why did you do this? Well... Yeah, without going into all the health reasons, because there are many, 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 many health reasons that I did this. I mean, honestly, that's the main reason I did it. I didn't just do it because I'm like, hey, I want to suffer for three days. It wasn't total suffering. It wasn't. It was not as bad as you would think. But one of the reasons, and like I said, not the main reason, but one of the reasons I did it was because I like a challenge and I like to push myself and I like to see if I can achieve something that I set out to achieve. And I don't always. I have my moments of failure like everyone else, but I really like to try Mm -hmm. every so often to give myself a challenge like that and see if I can do it. Just because it makes me feel when the next challenge comes, it's like, okay, I did that. I can do this. Yes. So I've heard people liken childbirth to that, actually, what you just said. Hmm. If you could have a child, then you could probably do just about anything. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Claudio said watching me give birth was like watching someone running a marathon while deadlifting weights while like being beat up. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) endurance massive strength and just physical pain and suffering like he just had no idea like how anyone could possibly do that so yeah I guess I do I don't think about that very often I mean I think famously women tend to forget what childbirth feels like my mom told me that years ago and I think it's a biological way of making sure that the human race continues because otherwise no woman would ever do that twice right yeah yeah (laughs) Um, so we forget about it but yeah that's definitely a challenge not a challenge that I would do just for the sake of it (laughs) no so before we get into the fasting what is there something else that you did prior to this that you would say is similar doing it just to do it just to see 
I, honestly, I don't think that there's anything that I've ever done that's 100% just like, oh, let's see if I can do this. I don't think so. I know people. there are people out there who do that. But I think mine are always like, there's always like a double reason. I try to be efficient, you know, in what I do, Katie. So I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to fast and it's going to be really hard, but I'm also going to renew my immune system and I'm going to increase my metabolic flexibility and all these other good things that come along with fasting. So I've done two things that come instantly to mind. And one of them is NaNoWriMo, which oh, yes. writing a 50,000 word novel in 30 days is one of those challenges that I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do this. You know, let's see if I can, if I can do it. It's a challenge. It's hard. And that's why it's fun to do. And that's why it feels so good. If you do do it, it's hard. It's painful. It's hard and not everybody can. Yeah. And I, I found this little, you know, those little like works of art that you frame and like put in your office that are not really art. They're more like a sentence done with really beautiful calligraphy. I found one on Pinterest that I saved and I haven't framed it yet, but I have printed it and I want to put it in my office. It says, I can do hard things. Oh, nice. And I love that because I think that what we tell ourselves about ourselves is what we become. And I think when you start to tell yourself, even if you only do one thing, that's hard. But if you start to tell yourself, yeah, I, I do hard things. I can do hard things. Like that just pushes you to do it more. And it pushes you to believe that you do it, you can do it, and that it's something that's you don't shy away from. So, so I, want, I want to put that up in my office. But the other thing that I've been doing, and I haven't been doing it every day, although I want to get to the point where I'm doing it every day, and that is cold shower every morning. Oh, yeah. Why? Yeah. <laughs> You know, Derek also had mentioned doing that. And as far as I know, he only did it once, but... Yeah, so you got to do it. it only takes one time. No, it doesn't take one time. It takes three to four times to like get to the point where you're like, you know what, this isn't that bad. I've watched a few videos on it and it's like the fasting. There are real physical benefits to it, but there's also this benefit that's just like every single morning, I face this fear of discomfort and I push myself, get into a cold shower that I know it's, gonna, it's not going to feel good, especially for the first 30 seconds. Honestly, after 30 seconds, it's not hard. It'll feel great in August in Rome. It'll feel great in August, but I'll tell you something. I started doing this in March, I think. It was still cold, pretty kind of cold here. I feel good as soon as the water is off. Mm. As soon as the water goes off, I feel amazing. It's going to feel bad, but it's only going to be two minutes or even 30 seconds. I started it with 30 seconds and then I worked myself up to like 45 and then one minute. And now I can do two minutes and, and it's crazy. Like, you know, when you get out of the shower and you're like shivering because you just got out of this really hot, warm shower and all of a sudden you're in this cold room. Whenever I get out of the cold shower, I don't even feel the need to put a bathrobe on. I'm not cold. Hmm. Isn't that weird? That is weird. But I, honestly, I feel so good after I do it. I still feel so alive and so invigorated. And I also just feel like if I can get to the point where every single day I'm doing something that, you know, everyone says do something that scares you once a day, but it's hard to find something that scares you every day. It can be a challenge if you have an office job and, you know, you're just commuting and doing your, it can be hard to find something that scares you. But that's something that for me, every time I open those shower doors, it's like when you're about to dive into the ocean or, you know, you're like, <sighs> you want to do it. But right before you do it, you kind of got this little sense of, am I really going to 
dive in there. And that's how I feel, but I do it anyway. And I think that's really good practice for when you're like, oh, I have to go ask my boss for a raise. I so don't want to do that. It's going to be so uncomfortable. I'm going to feel bad. It's going to be, ugh. But if every single morning you're jumping into that cold shower, you train yourself to have it not bother you as much. Yeah. It reminds me of a side story that Derek told me. A group of friends was sitting around talking about their least favorite parts of the day. And one of the people said, my least favorite part of the day is being in the shower before it gets warm. <laughs> like while the water's still heating up. And the friends look at him with the puzzled expression of, uh... <laughs> like, why would you get in before it gets warm? <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, he instantly realized what a dumb statement that was. But here he is, an adult, and he's never realized that you don't have to start in the shower and turn the water on. <laughs> that you can wait until it warms up. That's hilarious. I know. I love that. Yeah. What about you? Have you? Do you have any memories of specific things you've done on purpose to challenge yourself? I mean, I can only imagine that that shark cage. Oh, well, I wanted to do that, though. But I still think that that shark cage is it's it's different because I don't know that I would classify it under the heading of being like a hard thing. But I do think unless you truly just are not afraid of sharks whatsoever, which I can't even fathom that. But let's just say you're not afraid of sharks. But like those are the kinds of things yeah. that do challenge you in maybe not the same exact way, but in a, a similar way. Well, I've done a lot of things that people would say are journalistic <laughs> for journalistic reasons that did make me uncomfortable. Like I've done some radio where we recorded a live surgery. That was, it was a great experience, but it was a challenge. Like I had never been in a surgery before and we're standing out in the hallway talking to the surgeon and he's just walking us through what he's about to do. It was a hip replacement surgery. Okay. So it's like full on carpentry of the human body. Oh, don't use that word carpentry. <laughs> it is the... though. If you want me to really turn stomachs, I could splice in a piece of this surgery to this show. Do you want, do you want to hear it? Let's hear it. Okay. Do it. <laughs> okay. Well, here, let me set the stage first and then I'll let you hear part of it. So we're just out in the hallway getting ready for this surgery. This idea was not even my idea. My assistant producer had decided that this was something that we should do. And he had arranged it all. And we're standing out in the hallway in our scrubs talking to the doctor and he's laying out what he's about to do. First, he's going to cut open the side of the leg. Then he's going to shave off the arthritic hip bone with a saw. Then he's going to... With a saw? Okay, remind me to take good care of my hips so that I don't ever have to have this happen to me. <laughs> then he's going to reshape the socket uh, so that it's rounder using this kind of spinning blade thing. Anyway, he's going on and on and on. And the assistant producer standing across from me is just turning white. And eventually he just starts walking backward away from the circle where we're talking, taking off the mask, taking off the robes and stuff. And I said, David, where are you going? And he said, that's enough for me. I'll see you guys back at the station. So he doesn't even stay. So now it's just me and the host of my show. And the host of my show is not, we're not doing a live interview. We're taping the surgery. And so somebody's got to hang over the surgeon's shoulder with a microphone. Oh, God. And of course, who's that going to be? That's going to be you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so the guy 
as I get into position, they put a riser behind him so I can kind of stand over his shoulder and lean down, like, you know, and put the microphone in the heart of the action. And he hands me a pair of goggles. Oh, my God. And I say, oh, I'm not going to be close enough to be getting, like, eyelashes or hair or anything like that into the patient's body. I don't think I need the goggles. And he's like, oh, this is for your protection. There's going to be some some blood splatter here. And this patient has hepatitis C. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Keep your mouth closed, Katie. It was great. It was actually a really, really good experience, but... It was a lot. There were definitely moments where I had to, like this with my eyes closed, you know, and look away for a second. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. Do you want to hear some of it? Do you really want to hear some of it? What do you guys say? Do you want to hear it? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, can you go ahead? Okay. So if you look in there, you can actually see the arthritic ball here. And we're going to pop it out and you'll see it better in a minute. Can I have a uh, skid? Take that one out. Two in a row today, huh? Good. Ready? Yep. Easy and slow, Dan said. Real awesome. Good. So there's a lot of suction holding that ball into that socket, and that's what you heard. So what I'm showing you here is her arthritic ball. So this is a guy that's got a got score marks on it, like a ruler, and we measured on our blueprints that we wanted to make the cut just shy of a centimeter, about eight millimeters above the landmark that we've just identified, which is a part of the, a part of her thigh bone. And so I'm going to make a mark on the neck of her femur, which is the part right below the ball, and we'll cut along that mark. Saw, please. This is a power saw, like the one you get in Ace Hardware. Consistency of that is probably similar to, to cutting pine with a high-speed saw. Now we'll take the ruler, double-check our work. So I was pointing out to you that she's got some bone spurs on her x-ray before, and some of them are fractured even. And we're going to take some of those out now, this biting device. That's a bone spur, excess piece of bone mm-hmm. overhanging the edge of her socket. That's a retractor being placed into the bone of her pelvis, and I put it right into the bone so it doesn't have to float free, because there's a nerve back there, and I don't want that retractor floating around and irritating that nerve. We're taking that ring of bone spurs down, try to get a sense of what direction the new socket that I'm going to put in wants to face. If you get it in the wrong alignment, her hip replacement, her man-made hip can become unstable. You really want to make it as accurate as you can get it the first time through. So we're taking her misshapen socket and with these hemisphere-shaped reamers, turning it back into a round shape. Well, I think 54 is going to be just perfect. So this is a, this is a titanium socket, it's a hemisphere. It's got some holes that we're going to pass screws through, and it'll take a plastic bearing that we're going to use on her. The best compliment I got about that piece of tape 
was a listener walked wrote in after hearing it and said that that was the most disgusting hour of radio he'd ever heard in his life and he absolutely (laughs) loved it Yeah, uh, so that I, was hmm. something. I kind of have one-offs, maybe. They're not endurances. I was really afraid of death growing up, and so I finagled my way into working at a mortuary so that I could move dead bodies around in the hope that that would somehow make it better. So I did that for a little while. So I have a lot of little things that are like that. Yeah, that's an amazing thing, too, though, because, I mean, I'm deathly afraid of spiders and tarantulas and someone once told me like if you want to conquer your fear of tarantulas you have to like let one walk up your arm Mm. I would go swimming with sharks before I let a tarantula walk up my arm I would probably swim with the sharks without a cage before I let a tarantula (laughs) walk up my arm You know, there's like a point where you just lose your mind. I had this teacher once. I think it was like study hall. I don't think she was a teacher. I think she was my friend's mom. We were just chatting and, okay, so what is the scariest thing in the world? What could you not bear? You know, and she said, the scariest thing would be to be thrown into a pit of snakes. And I said, so there's nothing in the world that would be worse than that? And she's like, no. And I said, well, what about if someone killed your son? Like, I was such a a jerk. I was like, if someone said to you, either I'm going to kill your son or I'm going to throw you into a pit of snakes, you would pick having your son killed? (laughs) And she goes, it's not about what is more horrible. It's like, I would literally lose my mind. I would go insane if I was thrown into a pit of snakes. I would literally go insane. And I feel like that about tarantulas. Huh. And the fact that you were so afraid of death and that you faced that fear and worked and touched death. I mean, that's, it's impressive. I could never go there. I could never do it. Yeah. Well, I I was lucky in two ways. My curiosity often overrides fear for me. That's cool. Yeah. And I, my father was a minister and he performed a lot of funerals. And the night before I went in to this morgue for the first time, he said, I don't know how you're going to feel seeing a dead body, but I have always looked on it with interest. That's what he said. I think I was nervous and I thought, okay, yeah, I can look at this from a more objective standpoint of what an interesting situation this is. I hadn't done a lot of this experimental radio yet when I did that. So this is like one of the first big, bold things I did. I was only 21 or 22 years old. And I went from never having seen a dead body in my life to being in a room with nine of them. Oh my gosh. Wow. Not to mention shaving them, dressing them, painting their fingernails. (gasps) All in the first day. Yeah. But it was, it was absolutely fascinating too. Oh my goodness. Peek behind the curtain, the mechanics of how you take something dead and try to make it look more living. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, There's a woman in my building who has a son my age and we were chatting at the playground one day and she told me she was a doctor and, you know, we were talking. I didn't ask her specifics, but I found out later that she is a, what do you call it? The doctors who perform autopsies. I don't know what the term even is for that. Coroner? Coroner? I don't know. And I just thought, wow, that's an interesting choice. Of all the things you could go into, I think like pediatrician or, uh, you know, there's so many things that you could choose. Oh, okay. You want to, 
You want to cut apart dead people. Interesting. It's just an interesting choice. <laughs> you know, there's a period of time when I thought that I should be a mortician because I could handle it. Hmm. it. Like it was a duty or an obligation. Now, I don't know why I thought I could handle it because after doing it for a certain period of time, I thought, hmm, circle of life for me being 21 right now is getting a little too tightly closed, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm walking around picturing my what my roommate would look like dead. And I'm like, okay, probably taking this a little too far for 21 or whatever. But I used to think that there was in some way a moral imperative that the people who can do it should do it. Yeah, that's true. So that the people who can't do it won't have to do it. Yeah, I guess somebody has to do it is the idea. It might as well be... Someone who can handle it. Someone who can handle it and who finds it kind of interesting. Yeah. On a total side note, by the way, I had to go to a doctor's office yesterday and get my blood drawn. And I was asking the woman who was drawing my blood how they learn to do it in medical school. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe the answer. They do it on each other for weeks. Really? Ouch. Practicing on each other for weeks. Can you imagine? I feel like that would keep me out of medical school. Just... <laughs> Just so all of my classmates aren't like shoving needles into my arm while they're trying to learn how to get it into a vein. Yeah, <laughs> that would not be fun. That's interesting. I was thinking like cadavers or something, but nope, apparently it's, it's you. <laughs> so much to learn just by asking people. Yeah. So anyway, though, back to this fasting. Mm. You decide to fast for your health and to test yourself. Mm -hmm. And you do it for 72 hours. Now, what are the parameters of this fast? And what was each day like? Okay, well, first of all, I should say that I have been for about six or seven months following a ketogenic diet, as you know, Katie, I don't know if our listeners know, which just means that I eat very low carbs. And what that means is that if I skip a meal, I don't get that lightheadedness that most people will get because my blood sugar is very low naturally. So it doesn't spike when I eat and then it doesn't crash after I eat. So I'm already at an advantage. The people who say I couldn't possibly fast, you know, someone, someone who, I, uh, who follows me on Instagram literally wrote, I could never do that. I get dizzy if I don't eat for 30 seconds, <laughs> which was clearly an exaggeration. But, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I just want to put out there that I'm coming from a different place, which means it, it is going to be easier for me than it would have been for me a year ago before I started eating like this. And the second thing I want to put out there is that I've been doing intermittent fasting, which means I've been fasting for certain number of hours every day basically going from after early dinner and not eating until lunchtime. And I do that several times a week, not every single day, but I do it often. And so I do it often enough that I'm used to going at least 16, if not 18 hours without eating. It doesn't bother me at all. So again, for that reason, I was a little bit ahead of the game. And I've started learning about fasting and studying it. It's kind of like a popular thing right now. It's becoming popular. It's been you know, people have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, mostly for health reasons. Or religious reasons. Or religious reasons, but I think the two are, are really connected. I think that religions adopted fasting because they knew that it was good for you. But anyway, I started looking into this. I started reading about it. I read that the 72-hour fast is kind of like the sweet spot. It's short enough that you don't start, you know, breaking down your, your muscle, but it's long enough that you get a lot of benefits out of it. Most importantly for me was the immune system regeneration because I was sick a lot this winter and I want to fix that. Um, and also autophagy, which is like the cellular cleansing process, which makes you supposedly 
younger and it helps you age more gracefully and live longer, hopefully. I plan to do this and I had done a couple of like 24-hour fasts, a couple of 36-hour fasts, and I just felt like I was ready. I could handle it. And I thought, you know, if I can't handle it, I'll just stop. But quite frankly, I, I pretty much knew that I wasn't going to give it up. And the way that I kind of stopped myself from giving up, one of the ways was posting about it on Instagram. Yes. I was putting it out there that I was doing it, so I couldn't just stop, and then no one would know that I failed. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I gave myself that accountability. And the first day was very easy because I'm used to doing 18-hour fast, but I, I usually start fasting after dinner about 7 but I didn't. I just ate lunch that day. My big mistake was I ate a lunch that was way too small. <laughs> I should have had a more, a more substantial lunch. I think I had like vegetables and, you know, fruit or something, <laughs> something kind of sad. So this is 72 straight hours. Straight hours. Okay. But you can drink water. Well, yeah, yeah, you can drink water. It's a, okay. it's a water fast. I mean, technically, I think technically you're supposed to not have anything, not even tea. But I, I give myself a pass on the tea. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let myself have tea because I know it's going to give me a sense of comfort. And also it's kind of something to do because we don't, you don't realize until you fast how much time you spend eating during a day or during a three-day period. I don't have anything to do with my hands. It can kind of feel, it can kind of feel weird. So I did let myself have tea, but of course there was no sugar and no milk. I did every so often have a little bit of salt. And this is actually recommended because you lose all the electrolytes, just leave your body. That's what will make you feel weak and tired. I probably could have done more, but I, it just tasted so bad to eat. I thought, oh, I'll just take a bite. You know, I'll just take a little pink salt granule, but uh, this is nasty. So I finally <laughs> had to like put a teaspoon of salt in a liter of water. And even that was gross, but I just forced myself to do it. But other than that, I had nothing. The first day, so I started after lunch at about, two, about 3 p.m. And first night was no problem. Like I just went to bed early. It was not a big deal. First morning was fine. I'm used to not eating in the morning. Skipping lunch the first day was also fine. Dinner on that, I was now over 24 hours. Cooking dinner for my son was kind of hard. And I made him pasta, and it just smelled so good. <laughs> and it was something really simple, like I think pre-made pasta sauce. Sorry, don't hate me. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Italy, but... Well, the pre-made pasta sauces are better over there, to your credit. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, but anyway, so that was kind of hard, but it wasn't terrible. What was hard was the next day, 40 hours in, I suppose. That day was hard. I was looking at the clock a lot, and I was feeling tired. That's when I had that salt water because I was starting to feel really tired. That night, I made my son, oh my God, I'm totally like revealing what a bad cook I am right now. Um, <laughs> I, I made my son like some breaded fish, like a frozen filet of breaded fish. <laughs> Very nice, delicious. All the Italian expats are rolling their eyes. Like, how can you live in Italy and didn't cook like this. Well, I feel like they were thinking that when you said that you were on a keto diet when living in Italy. Yeah. How can you not be eating any carbs? It's like the heart and joy of being in Italy. Hey, I've been in Italy for almost 15 years. And I've eaten enough carbs for like the whole planet. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I just made him this fish sauteed it in butter. It smelled so incredibly good. I was dying. I got up the next morning and I felt fine. I really felt fine. The morning of the second full day, 
I felt a little dizzy and I felt really tired. The last day, so I was more than 48 hours and I was probably about 50 some, I can't count clearly. I must have been like 60 hours in at that point, more than that, 65 hours in. I didn't feel hungry at all. I didn't really feel hungry much at all. I felt the desire to eat, which is different from hunger. I wanted to have the pleasure of eating something good, hmm. but I, I didn't feel like hunger pangs. That surprises most people. They think you just spend the entire time starving, but you don't. You might have a, a pang of hunger like around dinner time, but it passes like in 10 minutes. But the third day, I, f- I really felt fine. I just moved a little bit slower, I noticed. Mentally, I felt alert. But, but I was counting the hours. I could not stop looking at the clock. But the worst thing is when you end your fast, if it's that long, you can't just start gorging yourself. Your stomach has hardly any enzymes in it. Enzymes are like, oh, we're not needed here. We're going away. We're going on vacation. And they go away. So I had to start with the lemon water, get the enzymes going. And you're like, geez, I just want to eat something real. And then after that, I did like coconut water. Mm. And that tasted amazing. This is the best thing I have ever had. (laughs) And then I finally let myself have, right before I left work, I had berries. I had prepared myself blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and strawberries. This huge bowl scarfed it down. That seems like it would be intense. That's a lot of sweetness. It is, but tartness right out of the gate. It is sweet, but it is also, those are all very low glycemic fruits. If you were to eat a banana or an orange or uh, like a peach or something that's much higher sugar content, it probably wouldn't have been good. But so these are all things that are low in low sugar. And about an hour after that, I had some Greek yogurt, get some good bacteria going. And, and yeah, and then I think my mistake was I did a tour that evening. Luckily, it was just a two-hour tour for some listeners, I'm sure. Nicholas, you're listening. It was really fun. I had a great time. And I was fine during the tour, but I think that it caused me to take a little bit longer to recover. It could have. Like, I probably should have just gone home and rested. But it's okay. I had a good time. And then that night, I just had some salad. But the thing is, you kind of got to avoid oil for the first 24 hours. And so I had salad with lemon juice on it. It was depressing. I feel like I'd want to eat a pizza at Darpoeta after that. You would, but you don't want to do that. No, you'd want to do that, but your body does not want that. And that can really hurt your body. After I finished the salad, I ate an entire avocado, whole plain with just a little salt and pepper. And that was the most satisfying thing I've ever eaten in my life. They say that you're supposed to take about half of the period of your fast to ease yourself back into eating. So the second day after as well, I was really careful and I didn't eat much. But then my niece came into town on Sunday and all bets were off. I had pasta at lunch with my in-laws. I picked her up from the airport. We went out for dinner. We had bruschetta. I had a glass of wine. Jeez, living large here, Tiffany. <laughs> I know. I was not, I was wild. I was, woo! <laughs> Yeah, I took about three days of just like, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But yeah, I mean, the, we'll see what happens. I don't feel really any different than before. But from what I've read and what I've studied on it, it really does have big benefits for your body. And ideally, you do something like this about every three months. So I guess maybe after summer vacation, 
I'll do it again. Yeah, so maybe the beginning of an ongoing challenge for you. Yeah, well, that's the idea. I mean, I'd like to do whatever I can to be as healthy as I can because, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I have a little kid that I got to take care of, so I've got to keep healthy. Yeah. Speaking of challenges, just in brief, before we end, remember I was telling you I had to go to the doctor's office yesterday. Yeah. One of it was a physical fitness test. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, see where I'm at at my current age. And as the guy is putting me through my paces, which is, you know, how many push-ups can you do? How long can you stay in a plank position, etc.? He said, now we're just going to go till the point of failure. And I said, I feel like you should rephrase that till the point of failure. <laughs> that, makes, <laughs> that makes me yeah, feel like harsh. I'll just be here for the next... 10 months. You're not going to get me to fail. You think you could hold a plank for 10 months? Katie, wow, that's Well, no, obviously not, but you don't want to fail. I mean, it just reminded me of this time when I got into a push-up competition with a friend of mine in our 20s. (laughs) I had to do 10, then he had to do 10, then I had to do 10, and we were just going until one of us couldn't do it anymore. We did so many that neither one of us could move our arms for another week after that. Oh my God, that's not good. Can I ask a question? Did you at least do like the knee push-ups or did you do the like full? Uh, He made me do the knee push-ups because I'm a woman. And he said that that's how they get the baseline. Like they have to test it based on whatever the standard is. But yes, I did. And I did 30 push-ups, which I don't know if that's good or not. That seemed kind of wimpish. I mean, without stopping? No, you did 10 and then... No, no, without stopping. I I had to do it till the point of failure, which means I didn't want to do anymore. And I felt like I could do more, but I felt like I would regret it. Wait, I'm sorry. Are you talking... I'm confused. Are you talking about the push-ups or are you talking about the plank with the doctor? With the doctor. I had to just keep doing push-ups until I couldn't do anymore. Oh, and with him you did 30. And I did 30, yes. With no breaks? No break. I think that's pretty good. Do you do push-ups in your regular life? When I remember to. So not not every day? <laughs> no. I think for not doing push-ups every day, 30 is very respectable. Not too bad. Oh, thank you. Yeah. How many seconds could you hold the plank? Well, I kind of was sick of doing the plank, so I quit. But I <laughs> only did it for a minute and 45 seconds. So you're like, I didn't fail. I quit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I got a problem with your terminology. A minute and 45 seconds is good. It's quite good. Thanks. I tried to do 45 seconds, but then I tried to do it four times. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I normally do. And what was your bill of health? Did he give you an A? Oh, yeah. I'm doing great. Good. That's good <laughs> to hear. Kidneys are good. Liver's good. Hey, I'm still holding it together. For the most part. Yeah. Good. And I didn't even have to fast. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) that could only add to your perfection. All right. Maybe I'll give it a try. Well, we should leave it there, probably. Yeah, but I do want to put a call out to our listeners. Okay. Do you guys try to challenge yourselves just because? Do you have things that you do? You want to share them with us? You can send voice memos. You can email. You can always just talk to us on social media. We're on the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You just search for The Bittersweet Life. You could take a screen grab of this episode and you could just post it and tag us and then write what it is that you do to challenge yourself. We would really love to hear. I mean, I'm personally always looking for new ways to challenge myself. So I would love to hear your ideas. Yes. And you can write to us through our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Yes. Or email us at bittersweetlife at mail.com. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks to Lori Lee Elliott for her help managing The Bittersweet Life on YouTube and to Sarah Johnson for her consultation. Our logo is made by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory with painting assistance by our muse, Caravaggio. 
You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. <laughs>